Hello, I'm Tim Shields. This is number 0757, The Stuff File Program with Peter Anthony Holder, and it comes to you right now. The following program is brought to you in living color. Now, it's time for an eclectic mix of interviews and some of the oddest news stories you'll ever hear. It's The Stuff File Program with Peter Anthony Holder. Hey there, hi there, ho there! Peter Anthony Holder here with you, and yes, this is indeed another edition of The Stuff File Program, number 0757. And coming up on this edition of The Stuff File Program, you'll meet producer-writer Nick Santora, who is back on the show. He has two hit TV shows on two different streamers. FUBAR, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, is on Netflix, and Reacher is on Amazon. What's it like adapting the Lee Child Reacher novels for television? It's my job and the job of, of my writing team and the job of the cast and the crew to try to convey that tone. The plot's never going to be the same as the book, never exactly the same as the book, because you need to get eight episodes out of the book, and so you need to add things and change things, sometimes change things because of where we film it and things of that nature. But the tone and the spirit of Reacher, we try our hardest to present that. If we're off, if things are wrong, Lee Child will let us know. Mark Hartsman from WeirdHistorian.com is back with his monthly odd story. This one deals with the U.S. during World War II attempting to weaponize goat poop. The Pentagon called in a guy named Stanley Lovell, head of the research and development for the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. He was a chemist by trade. And so when this ask came up to help troops in Morocco and help them find a way to defeat the Nazis, he had an interesting idea. There were more goats than people. That meant that there was a lot of goat poop. So he thought if we synthesized goat poop and laced it with some sort of chemical poison that might attract flies to the poop, and the flies could then pick up that biological agent and then go deliver all that to the Nazis. And there's lots and lots of stuff file news and, of course, an idiot of the day. The guest Slater, the person who told you this was show number 0757, was photographer Tim Shields, who runs the Photography Academy and is the author of several books to make you a better photographer. You may remember he was a guest on a previous show on show number 0741. Well, now he's doing the guest slate on this show, number 0757. Thank you very much, Tim, for doing the guest slate on this edition of the Stuff File Program, a show that is listener-supported, fan-funded radio that depends on you for our success. Join us at Patreon.com to help make this show an even bigger and better radio experience. Well, let's get right to the stuff. If you, like Samuel L. Jackson, thought that the worst thing on a passenger jet was snakes on a plane, then think again. A flight headed for Detroit from Amsterdam was forced to turn back after maggots fell from the overhead cabin onto an unsuspecting passenger. Baggage containing rotting fish apparently broke open and the critters rained down during the Delta flight. People in the affected area were moved away from the disgusting scene as the plane turned around one hour into the flight and headed back to Amsterdam. One man said he witnessed the maggots falling on a woman sitting across the aisle from him. 
Another passenger said their family was sitting in the road directly in front of where the maggots fell. He went on to say, The lady right behind us told the flight attendants the maggots were falling on her head. I turned around and they were wiggling around on the seat. After the plane returned to Amsterdam, the flight crew identified the owner of the offending baggage and detained them. The overhead cabin and seats in the area were thoroughly cleaned and the rotting carry-on was placed in a bag to be incinerated. The airline gave travelers 8,000 air miles, hotel room compensation and a $30 meal ticket if they were delayed overnight. By the way, the fish was only wrapped in newspaper. Delta policy allows for food to be brought on the flights, but only if it is wrapped properly and isn't dangerous to transport. Delta Airlines. You love the way we fly. Well, not always. In Washington, D.C., a Walgreens store has been robbed at least once a month since July of last year. On February 13th, Metropolitan Police Chief Pamela A. Smith announced that three men had been arrested in connection with the robberies, including the store's manager. In every robbery, she said, 24-year-old Kamanye Williams allegedly entered the storeroom and waited for an employee to open a secure door. Then he demanded money and fled. 33-year-old Michael Robinson, the manager, and his nephew, 26-year-old Gianni Robinson, were also arrested and charged with conspiracy to interfere with interstate commerce by robbery. Smith said Williams was in touch with both men before and after each robbery. Well, I guess there was a comfort zone for these guys who thought that robbing the store on a monthly basis was an extremely easy thing to do. Perhaps they took one of Walgreens' slogans a little too literally. Let's talk about making things easier. Walgreens is here. There was a time way before the cell phone and everyone was tethered to the base unit with a landline that kids growing up would make prank phone calls. Everything from, do you have Prince Albert in a can? To, is your refrigerator running? Well, you better go and catch it to stuff that is more scatological in nature. I never understood the prank call myself, but luckily most people do grow out of the habit. I say most, not this trio of guys. Three Chesterfield County, South Carolina sheriff's deputies, yes, I said sheriff's deputies, were charged on February 12th with misconduct in office, criminal conspiracy, and breach of peace. Justin Richard, Darian Rosso, and Killian Laughlin were accused of making prank phone calls to other law enforcement agencies, reporting hoax emergencies, including the discovery of a dead body. The hoax calls caused emergency responses from law enforcement and or other agency responders. Officers tracked the phone number where the calls came from to one of the former deputies. All three are free, awaiting trial. Well, lucky for all of us, where they're probably eventually going, all of their future calls will be monitored. Yeah. 33-year-old Anthony Lewis of Winter Haven, Florida, wanted to surprise his ex-girlfriend and maybe lure her back with a unique Valentine's Day gift. 
So he picked up a couple of crane statues out of someone else's front yard. Lewis was on his motorcycle when he snatched the cranes, which were very special to the owner because her deceased husband had given them to her. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd said the girlfriend was mortified and cooperated with law enforcement. Lewis, who has 39 priors, that's right, 39 priors, was arrested. Said Judd, if this guy's in the area, he'll steal it. Well, apparently that's not completely true. It's clear that he'll never be able to steal his ex-girlfriend's heart ever again. And finally, in this section of Stuff File News, before we get to our first guest here in this edition of the Stuff File program with me, Peter Anthony Holder, a church pastor in Woodbury, Connecticut, faces drug charges after state police say they found crystal methamphetamine in the car he was driving. 63-year-old Reverend Herbert Irving Miller also had a suspended registration, don't they always, he was arrested and charged with operating an unregistered motor vehicle, illegal operation of a motor vehicle without minimum insurance, possession of a controlled substance, use of drug paraphernalia, and possession with intent to sell a narcotic. The meth he had was in both rock and liquefied forms. The liquid meth was in a hypodermic needle prepared for injection. Miller, the former pastor for First United Methodist Church in Shelton, was appointed pastor of Woodbury United Methodist Church last July. You know, for years, churches have worked so hard to make sure to put Christ back in Christmas to varying degrees. Well, here is a pastor who was working his hardest to put meth back in Methodist. He's probably hoping that he gets a judge who isn't strict or overly religious. We will be just, and we will be swift, and we will be ruthless. Now let us pray. And let's get to our first guest here in this edition of the Stuff File program, shall we? TV executive producer and series creator Nick Santora has been busy of late. Netflix has greenlit the second season of the spy series FUBAR, which stars Arnold Schwarzenegger in his very first TV show ever, and over on Amazon Prime, it was recently announced that there will be a season three of his other action series, Reacher. Nick joins us via Zoom. Hi, Nick. Hi, Peter. How are you? Just tickety-boo. Thanks very much for being on the program. I know you're very, very busy, so uh, thank you for being on the show with us once again. Uh, when we spoke last time, you couldn't talk necessarily about FUBAR, um, and uh, you weren't quite there with Reacher yet, and then when we had a chance to talk about it, of course, that strike took place. Uh, yeah, so, it sure did. So that was problematic. Uh, first of all, has everything returned to normal post-strike, or is there still some growing pains over that situation? Uh, what What has happened is all of my projects were beautifully staggered prior to the strike, so it was finish one, start a new one, finish that one, start the next one. And they all, because of the strike, all kind of got bunched up at the starting line. And then when the strike was over, it was kind of like, boom, okay, do all of them at once. So has so I'm actually juggling a lot of things simultaneously, simultaneously right now, which is a little challenging. Uh, so I was about to say, has that been a bit of a nightmare or, or are you just... You're just plowing through. Um, it's 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 hard time wise. 
it's never, I, I don't know if it's not a nightmare because having work is, is always, I'm always grateful for it. Um, so, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't say nightmare, but there's a, there's not a lot of sleep and there is a lot of deadlines. Uh, but you know, you, you push through it and I work with incredible people and with their talents, we're, we're able to get it done. Okay, let's start with uh, Reacher. Um, the second season of Reacher was just on over the holidays, and uh, I must confess I had not watched the first season of Reacher, so I went back and watched all of the first season before I started up with the second season. And I got to admit, when I watched the very first episode of the very first season, which you also wrote, and again, I followed your work for a long time, I just kept shaking my head saying... Wow, that's a Nick Santora script. If I ever saw one, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it, it's really a Lee Child script. He he created the world. He wrote seven thousand Reacher books. You know, he's written so many books. I mean, dozens and dozens of these books that are that people just love. They're beloved worldwide, and it's my job and the job of of my writing team and the job of the cast and the crew to try to convey that tone. The plot's never going to be the same as the book, never exactly the same as the book, because you need to get eight episodes out of the book. And so you need to add things and change things, sometimes change things because of where we film it and things of that nature. But the tone and the spirit of of Reacher, we try our hardest to, you know, present that and. If we're off, if things are wrong, Lee Child will let us know. I know that there was some pressure when it was first announced that this show was going on the air, that there was some pressure from the fans who had read the books uh, over casting because they believed that uh, Tom Cruise, who did the movies, wasn't Reacher. So was there extra pressure on you to sort of get it right? Which, by the way, you've, you've done in spades. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I'd say there there was uh, a, a strong desire to make sure we got this right. Reacher's such an iconic character. And, uh, you know, as much as I love certain actors out in the world, they just didn't fit the, 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 the physical uh, nature of Jack Reacher. So we looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and Alan Richson came across our, our transom and thank goodness he did because he's a, he's a wonderful Jack Reacher and he's also a really hardworking person who gives us all to the role. So we felt that desire um, of everybody to get Reacher right, and I, I think we did. I think Alan's just fantastic. Well, you said there are some actors that you love to work with, and I'm just wondering, um, was it part of the plan? Because if, anybody who knows your work in the past, for instance, Breakout Kings, there are some people who have populated Reacher that I remember from that show. Yeah, I when I was reading um, the, first, uh, the book for the first uh, uh, season, Killing Floor, I instantly thought Malcolm Goodwin is perfect for this role. I had worked with Malcolm before. Malcolm is beyond talented. And Malcolm also, over the years, has become one of my best friends. 
And I'm never going to try to put someone in a job just because they're my friend. That's that's a recipe for disaster because they might not be right for the role. And by the way, if someone's a really good friend of mine, they'll tell me I'm not right for the role because it's not going to be good for either one of us. But Malcolm was perfect for that role. I knew it. He knew it. And when the studio and the streamer saw him, they knew it. And uh, Dominic Lombardozzi and Sorinda Swan in season two, they just happened to be perfect for that role. I mean, if you go back to Breakout Kings and look at the actors in that show, those six actors, they all work all the time. They're all fantastic. That cast was incredible. So it's it just by the law of averages, if you want to work with great actors, you're going to work with a lot of actors over and over again. And also, I like to work with actors that treat it as a job, which means you show up on time, you know your lines, you have a positive attitude, you say thank, thank you and please to everyone on the, you know, on the on the crew. And all of those actors do that. They're polite, they're professional, and they treat it like a job. It's not a game. There's a, you know, there's a lot of money at stake that the studios and the streamers put up to make these shows. So we should treat it properly. And these actors do. And that's another reason why I like working with them. I mentioned the last time that you were on the program with us, we actually talked about names uh, that you come up with for characters and how you get them cleared. And again, I, I had to chuckle while watching Reacher because you had scenes in there where people were going into hotels booked as uh, backup Yankee catchers. Yeah, and second and Yankee second baseman as yes. well. Yeah, I threw. Uh, I think I threw a reference to Ron Hassey in there, who was one of my favorite baseball players when I was a kid. Who was a Yankee backup catcher. Um, look, the legalities are really complicated, but if you're making reference to someone who's famous it's a lot easier to use their name because if you become a famous baseball player um uh, it's like you kind of give up the privacy that you get that that a regular citizen would be uh, entitled to um also we weren't doing anything defamatory we weren't saying oh ron hassey robbed a bank or anything silly like that we were saying his name was being used as a as a pseudonym to check into hotels. Um, but as you know, I think as I mentioned to you, sometimes we'll pick a city and a year and a sport in the writer's room and then wind up looking at the Seattle so Supersonics 1987 roster and grabbing a last name off of it and then grabbing a first name off of, uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens uh, 1975 team. And that's how we come up with names sometimes. Mm -hmm. I wish I could say it was more artistic than that, but sometimes you just got to get a name and move on with the script. I give shout out to Mark Salas, too, whose name you also mentioned on, on Reacher. Um, when I know it was just announced that it's going to have a third season. When will that be on our screens? That's tough to say, but uh, I know uh, Amazon wants to give it to uh fans you know as soon as as soon as it's ready because the fans love it and i know amazon loves and appreciates the people that watch reacher but we're going to be filming this because of the strike everything's delayed you know we had a writer strike and then an actor strike um and a, and a lot of it overlapped and it just kind of threw everyone in the businesses uh schedule askew um but mm, 
I would hope. Oh man, I'm guessing, but I would hope within, you know, a year or so we could be watching it again. Okay. I want to get to your other show, FUBAR, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but we've got to take a quick break here. Uh, we're talking with Nick Santora, who is the executive producer of both Reacher, which is ramping up production for its third season on Amazon Prime, and also FUBAR, which is gearing up for its second season on Netflix. You're listening to The Stuff All Program with me, Peter Anthony Holder. There's still more guests, more news, and an idiot of the day. Coming your way on the Stuff File program. Stay tuned. The Stuff File program is a listener-supported, fan-funded radio show that depends on you for our success. Join us at Patreon.com to help make this show an even bigger and better radio experience. Sign up and find out about our rewards program. Being a patron doesn't have to be a long-term commitment. There's absolutely no obligation. You could join today and end whenever you'd like. But the time we have your support would be so greatly appreciated. We'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show and even your ideas for rewards. Join us for the ride. Join us at patreon.com slash the stuff file program. Available on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and just about every other way you stream audio. This is the Stuff File program with Peter Anthony Holder. It's radio that's everywhere you want to be, and some places you don't. And still to come on the program, Mark Hartsman from WeirdHistorian.com is back on the show to share a weird story for the month of February. This one deals with World War II and the weaponization of goat dung. We have more in the way of Stuff File news, and of course, there's an idiot of the day coming your way. But right now, we continue our conversation with the extremely prolific writer and executive producer, Nick Santora, who is working on two shows simultaneously, Reacher on Amazon Prime and also FUBAR on Netflix. And Nick, let's get to FUBAR right now. Uh, when the first season of that show aired, we didn't get a chance to talk about it because the strike got in the way. Uh, yeah. So now you are doing a second season of that as well. Um, you, you I, I don't know how you felt about going into the project. I'm sure you felt uh, good about any project you do, but uh, could you imagine that it would be the hit that it became? Well, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he has so many people that love to watch his work that I hoped it would be successful. Um how I felt at the beginning of it, if I'm being completely honest, uh, Peter, um, I was nervous because Arnold is a um, very, very popular person and he's a powerful person in the entertainment industry. And I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. So, you know, everyone knows the jokes about writers in Hollywood getting, you know, stepped on and, and treated terribly. And I just thought to myself, he, you know, this guy's, going to be the biggest name i ever worked with he's world famous people in all corners of the globe know him he's going to be able to walk all over me if he wants and if he doesn't i could write a script that i know works and if he doesn't like it he could tear it up and be a pain in the neck and all this stuff i just didn't know the guy and so i got on a zoom with him and pitched him what i thought the show was and he just said i love it let's make it and he is the most respectful guy I've ever worked with. 
He has not made my life difficult for one second. He uh, he learns the scripts months in advance, knows every word, every line, and comes to set every day with the most positive attitude. And I'm not look. I'm not if if you weren't recording this, I'd be telling you the same exact thing offline. Um, he's the you know people say where does the 800 pound gorilla sit? wherever he wants. Well, Arnold's an 800-pound gorilla, and he sits in the most uncomfortable chair so someone else could have a comfortable chair. Wow. He's that he's that great on set. Now, you, you've brought together a cast around Arnold that is equally talented, and I'm just wondering, as a writer, how long does it take? Because, you know, there's one thing to have the words on the page when you first hand the scripts out to the actors, but how long does it take for you to start writing for those particular actors as opposed to writing just the character themselves? That's a really good question because when you're doing network TV and network TV is building the bridge as you're crossing the Grand Canyon, you're on your hands and knees hammering it and you have nothing but a 4,000 foot fall in front of you because you're making it as the season's going. Um, so while when you're doing that, you're only about two or two and a half scripts in when you start filming. So you start seeing, especially on a new show, actors' strengths and weaknesses, what they love to do, what they don't love to do, things that you've written that work really well, things that you've written that you think are going to crush and don't work well, and you wind up leaving it on the cutting room floor and post. So you start adjusting the writing as you're going. But that's when you're writing for network TV. When you're writing for streaming... 99% of the time, it's eight to 10 scripts, and you've written them all before you start filming. It's just the streaming model. So then what happens is it's all written. The storylines are written. And now, it's not written in cement. It hasn't hardened yet. But because you've been prepping and people have been learning the scripts, it might not be cement, but it's pretty thick oatmeal. So if you see things that actors do really well, or things they don't do as well, and you want to adjust the scripts, you have to go in and make changes in stuff that's already been learned by people, some of the stuff you've already prepped for. You can do it. If it's straight-up dialogue, you can do it. But, um, you know, some actors are like, I've learned my stuff. You know, I don't throw me new stuff at the last minute. So you have to do it beforehand and sometimes well in advance. Um so it's it's really different in both. In network, you're all you're creating it all together. Um, in streaming, you still are, but it's a little bit trickier to go in and change some of the scripts. But you can still do it, and and I still do. Okay, so let me ask that question a different way. Now that you have a second season of Fubar coming up, did you, with the knowledge of of having had the first season, did you write differently for the characters because of what the first season uh, played out? Well, you just you're just able to write more easily because you know, you know, I know, you know, uh, Fortune Feimster is going to hit these jokes out of the park, and you can uh, you can just write to that. I know that Monica Barbaro, and I've told her this a few times. She has a superpower where she can give a dead-eyed stare at someone at Arnold or at Fortune, or someone who's doing something, a character who's doing something absolutely bizarre or nuts in a scene, 
and her dead-eyed, dead um, uh, deadpan stare is hysterical. And I try to write that into scripts because she's so funny when she does that. So you really get to see what things these actors will just hit out of the park and you write towards that. So it's a lot easier, a lot easier in a season two, for sure. Uh, Fortune Feimster stole every scene she was in. I think she deserves an Emmy. <laughs> she's a, she's re- I mean, listen, she's a great stand up. And so I think just, you know, being funny comes incredibly natural, naturally to her. And um, she's another person who has, you know, a ton of fun on set. Um, you know, she, you know, and, and look, the, the, the truth is, is because I'm always in editing, I'm always writing, I'm always rewriting because of COVID. We had as few people on set as possible. Half of the cast and crew I haven't met yet in both of these shows. And so I'm I'm going to get to meet a lot of them soon, but I've gotten to know them through Zoom and phone calls. But Fortune's uh, someone I've never been in the same room as her. Wow! But we've spoken we've spoken a million times, and I love writing for her, and I I stare at her face uh, all day long in editing. And uh, yeah, you're right; she crushes it. They all crush it. That cast is really really good. Now, in the case of both shows, Fubar and Reacher, you do a lot of shooting up here in Canada for those two shows. Um, yes, sir. I love Canada. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. I love I love America, too, but I don't have a bad thing to say about Canada. It, the people there are nice. Uh, the, 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 the crews work so hard, and uh, everyone's friendly, and uh, it's like a second, you know, I haven't been you know, up as much as I, as I'd like to because of my work schedule, but I, I love Canada. I don't have, a, I don't have a, a, a bad thing to say about that country. What a wonderful country. If I'm not mistaken, didn't you create a, like an entire town for Reacher? Out of 12 acres of nothing. It was 12 <laughs> acres of like frozen Canadian soil. And, uh, I, I did not create it. Our incredible crew created it, but I, I knew how I wanted it to look and I had very specific thoughts about the town and building that town in in 12 acres in Pickering. I might be more proud of that town than of anything I've ever written because it was an undertaking and it was being constructed in the middle of winter at the uh, height and beginning of COVID. And it was really uh quite stressful and everyone worked so hard and i just loved going online and pulling up pictures of old buildings from the south old victorian homes from the eastern eastern end of long island um cobblestone streets um marbled entranceways to storefronts with the numbers of the storefront in the marble, in the tile, excuse me, in the tiled uh, entranceway. All of these things and just watching it come to life and picking the name of every business, what the business would be and what the name of the business would be. Refusing to allow a single 555 phone number on on a sign or the side of a truck or anything because I feel that takes the viewer out of the fantasy. And that town of Margrave from season one of Reacher, it's still there. A company bought it. It's used for other projects now. And uh, I'm just so proud of of what the crew built there because it was absolutely beautiful. 
Well, it was nothing. It was just empty land. Certain uh, attention to detail. I've got to ask before I let you go. Um, yes, as I've mentioned on several occasions, I'm a big, big fan of your books. Uh, Slip and Fall is one book, and the other one is 15 Digits. And I always think that 15 Digits needs to be on television, on a streaming service, or even in the theaters. Uh, I know you're very, very busy, but is there a chance <laughs> that will happen? Is there a script out there somewhere I'll, that that it can be turned? No, I, I, I never turned it into a script. Um, it could, po yeah, I agree with you. Um, I just don't have any more. I just don't have any more hours in the day right now. Um, I can't tell you the names of the projects, but I have two because they haven't been announced yet. So I'd be breaching my contract, but I have two other shows in addition to FUBAR and Reacher that I'm writing with some very talented writers. And, uh, I don't think I can, if I put any more on my plate, the plate's going to break Peter. So I'm just going to be happy with what I have. And then one day like all shows, they either don't get renewed or they get canceled or whatever. And then time frees up and, and and then maybe it will be 15. I'd love to see 15 digits, you know, come alive. Well, I think it's deja vu all over again because I know I asked this question, uh, one of the interviews I did with you many, many years ago. And at the time you said, I couldn't do it because I have two projects that I can't talk about because it would be a breach of contract. <laughs> and those two, those two projects were FUBAR and Reacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, hopefully these next two do as well as FUBAR and Reacher. We'll see. Abs we'll see. Absolutely. Nick, thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk with us once again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Peter, it's always really, uh, really nice and a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thank you. Nick Santora, executive producer of both Reacher on Amazon Prime and FUBAR on Netflix. The first two seasons of Reacher and the first season of FUBAR are streaming on their respective streaming services. And again, I have to mention his novels because they're great. The first one is called Slip and Fall. The second one that I would love to see turned into a movie is called 15 Digits. You can go to my website at thestuffwild.com, check out the show number for this program, which is show number 0757, and you'll find links to either amazon.com or amazon.ca where you can order his books directly. You're listening to The Stuff File Program with me, Peter Anthony Holder. Got something for the mailbag? Drop Peter a line. He'd love to hear from you. Send your email to mailbag at thestufffile.com. And remember, stuff is spelled S-T-U-P-H. That's mailbag at thestufffile.com. Or catch up with him on Twitter or Facebook. There's more Stuff File coming your way in just a few moments. Hey, how would you like to become a patron of the Stuff File program? It's easy to do. By going to patreon.com and becoming a patron, you help to make this show an even bigger and better radio experience. And if you become a regular patron as a Patreon reward, I'll share with you an electronic version of my book, Great Conversations, my interviews with two men on the moon and a galaxy of stars. You've heard me say on many occasions about the myriad of celebrities I've had the chance to talk to that are contained in my book, which is published by Bear Manor Media. You've also heard me mention that some of the celebrities in my book, and many others, can be heard on our page at Patreon.com. If you've been on the fence about joining Patreon, let me try to pull you over to our side. Join Patreon and claim your copy of Great Conversations, my interviews with two men on the moon and a galaxy of stars. Sign up at patreon.com slash the stuff file program.
You're listening to The Stuff File Program with Peter Anthony Holder, a show that perfectionists take with them everywhere, from point A to point A+. And still to come on the program, we will talk to Mark Hartsman from WeirdHistorian.com about weaponizing goat poop. Plus, we also have an idiot of the day coming your way a little later on, and more Stuff File news right here, right now. Now, during the last two weeks of the show, I've shared with you a couple of Valentine's Day promotions that seem somewhat mean-spirited. Two weeks ago, we told you about the Homeward-Bound Pet Adoption Center in South Jersey that was doing a Valentine's Day promotion where, for a price, feral cats were captured, given the name of your ex, then they were spayed and neutered, and the promotion tagline was, because some things shouldn't breed. Then last week, there was another Valentine's Day pet promotion where, for a $5 donation, an animal shelter wrote the name of your ex-loved one or co-worker or landlord on a pee pad and put it in a rabbit cage. Well, I now have a third one to share, and this one was put out by a police department whom I assume had their tongues firmly planted in their cheeks. Hayes County, Texas Crime Stoppers announced its Valentine's Day special, No Donations Needed, said Executive Director Sergeant Jeff Jordan, somewhere deep down, somebody is probably thinking, how could I have gotten even with that ex? His suggestion? Turn in your ex if they have outstanding warrants. Added Kyle Police Department Warrant Officer Dan Pruitt, Let us help make that certain someone have a Valentine's Day they will never forget. Those with confirmed warrants will get a set of limited edition diamond-studded platinum bracelets, a.k.a. handcuffs, free chauffeured transportation in a luxurious sporty ride, a.k.a. squad car, a professional photo session, a.k.a. mugshot, and a stay in luxurious five-star accommodations a.k.a. jail. The best part? No limit on referrals. (laughs) Okay, I gotta admit that I enjoyed that one. And I also like a police department with a sense of humor. Anyway, speaking of sense of humor, George Santos, who apparently doesn't have one, uh, seems to have never met a camera or a misrepresentation he didn't like, except when it comes to Jimmy Kimmel. Lacking all sense of irony, The expelled GOP ex-congressman from New York has just hit the late-night host, ABC, and Disney with a fraud and copyright infringement lawsuit over Kimmel's admitted punking and pranking of Santos via the personalized celebrity message site Cameo. Kimmel has been punking Santos on Cameo for last for months. Under the pseudonym of Chris Cates, Kimmel on December the 6th paid Santos $400 to congratulate a fake friend for winning the Clearwater, Florida beef-eating contest. The same day, under the name Jane, Kimmel paid Santos to praise his fake mom for successfully cloning her beloved schnauzer Adolf. Each request was more outrageous than the previous one, and it's almost impossible to believe that Santos is either that gullible or money-greedy to read these things out loud and record them. Kimmel would present them in his nightly monologue. My favorite one so far was the one that he aired on December the 7th 
under the name Uncle Joe. Let me play that one for you. So, will Santos say it? Here we go. George, can you please congratulate my legally blind niece, Julia, on passing her driving test? They said she couldn't do it, even shouldn't, but she's taught herself to be able to drive safely using her other senses. She's not a quitter. That said, the day after she got her license, she got in a really bad car accident. So if you can also wish her a speedy recovery, that would be amazing. She's in a body cast and very bummed out, but with help from Jesus and President Trump, soon she will be back on the road. Okay, will George Santos say it? Hey, Julia. Congratulations on getting your driving test. You prove that even the legally blind can do it. I know that it's a bummer that right after you got the test and you show that you weren't a quitter, you got into that little accident. Look, the, a body cast ain't much. You'll, 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 you'll ace this. You will rock this as soon as you're out of that body cast because you're, you're awesome. And Jesus and President Trump will make sure that you're back on the road soon and you're going to be amazing. Uncle Joe sends his love and I want you to never give up on your dreams because you are not a quitter, Julia. And I love you. Bye. That's very sweet. Very... By the way, in addition to that airing on the show to a large audience, it has also received millions of hits on YouTube alone. You know, the mystery to me is that for every fly-by-night low-life charlatan out there who wants to go to court, there is a lawyer who is willing to take their case. Mind-boggling. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to our last guest here in this edition of the Stuff All program, shall we? Mark Hartsman, the curator of WeirdHistorian.com, is back with a story for the month of February. This time, we take you back to the last global conflict. During World War II, the U.S. military was flirting with fecal warfare. Mark joins us via Skype from New York. And Mark, this brings new meaning to the term, the stench of war. It definitely does. This is a... Uh... This is a pretty crazy story about, as you've already alluded, uh, poop, um, Nazis, <laughs> which is a good part about this, is it's uh, poop going towards Nazis, and, and yes, World War II. So this, this story begins back in February of 1943. So uh, German troops had just defeated Americans um, at the Battle of Kasserine Pass in central Tunisia. So le left lots of U.S. soldiers hurt, wounded, Obviously, many of them died as well. Some of them were missing. And after this, the Germans started amassing in Morocco. Um, and this was kind of emboldening all the Axis forces. And it, it looked bad in North Africa for Americans and British troops. So that, that wasn't good. Um, as that was going on, there was a threat that they might also uh, blow up the, the one railroad that was going through the area from Casablanca to Algiers. And that would prevent the Allied forces from delivering any kind of support to Tunisia. So this was a problem. Uh, we didn't want them having more victories. We didn't want them messing up our, our one way in, our line of, of you know, getting resources to people, to troops in need. So they had to find a way to defeat these Nazis in Spanish Morocco. So the Pentagon called in a guy named Stanley Lovell, who was the uh, head of the research and development 
um, for the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. So the OSS was the the precursor to the CIA uh, at that time. And so this man Lovell, he was a chemist by trade. He got this position, and he was always looking for like really creative ways to find different uh, ways of attacking our foes and finding interesting bits of warfare. Again, very odd and unusual and clandestine methods. So before all this had happened, as part of just his research, like I said, he was a chemist. He actually had met with uh, some professors at McGill University right there in Canada. And they had talked to him about offering their services if they ever need them. Something with chemicals if you need some help. So germ warfare, for example, was something that they could help with, even though that was really kind of looked down upon by President Roosevelt at that time. They didn't want to go there. But, you know, Lovell, again, he had some some latitude and he had his creativity, he thought out of the box. So he put that aside. He knew he had help if he needed it. And so when this ask came up to help him uh, help troops in Morocco and help them find a way to defeat the Nazis, he had an interesting idea. And he looked at what was going on in Morocco and he noticed a very unusual detail. And that is that there were more goats than people. And if there were more goats than people, that meant that there was a lot of goat poop in Morocco. So he thought, hmm, if we could, if we synthesized goat poop and laced it with some sort of chemical poison that might attract flies to the poop, and the flies could then pick up that chemical, that, that poison, that you know, biological agent, and then go deliver all that to the Nazis. They would go, you know, be all over the place. This was summer. This was um, something they thought could happen, you know, with the heat going on there. And and that would take care of them. They would basically deliver disease from the poop. And they figured because there was so much of it, no one would notice if there was a bit more poop that got dropped on Morocco. <laughs> so basically, like you said at the beginning, fecal warfare. They would have this uh, laced poop that would then uh, unleash a series of or hordes of, of um, chemically you know, uh, induced flies to deliver the agents and now, kill the Nazis. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I have, I've got a lot of concerns, but the thing that concerned me the most about hearing this story is it's one thing to um, chemically induce the manure and thus chemically induce the flies, but how do you know where the flies will then go? Well, yeah, that is a problem. I agree. And as I was as I was researching this, I was wondering the same thing because might the flies not spread this bacteria to other people as well who maybe you know are not Nazis and don't need to be done away with? So, yeah, um, it wasn't the cleanest plan, I suppose, literally um, and figuratively. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't. Uh, he didn't discuss that basically. Uh, but what it did have was this this chemical. It did have an att- a special attractant in it, so it was made. They made sure it would attract these flies, um, be powerful enough to pull them in. And then, yeah, that was the thought, though. Just have millions of flies taking that bait and then spreading the bacteria to the enemy. And you're right, probably other people as well. Unfortunately, now well, not, just, not, just not to, only not only other. Well, you know, there are, you're fighting a war, so it's it's us against them, as the saying goes. Uh, how do you know that the flies will go in the them direction? And that is, doesn't even bring up the whole idea of the locals in the area who are the innocents of all of this. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking was I, it was the locals who were at risk. But I think the them was 
that was it. I think the Germans had amassed there. The troops weren't there yet. They were left back in, uh, in Tunisia. So, so basically, the target was there. Um, and you're right. The locals might be at risk as well. Hmm. So what happened yeah. with this plan? I, I mean, I, I don't remember it hearing about this, mm-hmm. so I'm assuming it was shelved for one reason or another. Hopefully humanitarian ones, but probably not. <laughs> yeah, so so they did end up actually deploying it. They they did go pretty far into the production, though. They had the poop ready to deploy. And it, before they had a chance to do it, though, they would have you know been dropping this by, by plane. Um, the Nazis actually ended up leaving Smash Morocco and heading into battle uh, into Russia. So before they had a chance, they took off anyway. So that resolved the problem, at least, you know, at least in that particular area. Um, so, yeah, the poop never ended up uh, having to be put into action, which was probably good for the locals, like you said. And I'm sure they were also, you know, it's probably good to have less poop in the area as well. It seemed like it was uh, pretty packed as it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure plenty of flies also. That's, I, I just want to sit around that conference table when somebody says, I got an idea after putting their hand up and everyone else around the table, uh, if there were generals and the like, were probably armed. <laughs> you know? yeah. The fact that that yeah. guy stayed alive is miraculous. But it is a great first statement to have, right? I, I'm picturing the same thing around the room. It's going to take a lot of go poop. Okay. Now, now stick with me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, it is, it's a, it's a pretty wild plan. And, and Lovell had a lot of these kind of crazy plans, crazy, but, but you know, also somewhat ingenious again, creative ways to just, you know, find different ways to surprise enemies, attack them in, in ways they wouldn't have expected. And, uh, whatever it took, you know, that was world war two, whatever they could do to get an advantage and to defeat the enemy they were willing to do. And as we know, I'm, I'm assuming I, 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 again, I can't make that assumption. Uh, there are more goats than people, as you say, uh, were, were they putting the, whatever they were putting in chemically into the manure, were they leaving the manure around much in the same or planning to leave the manure around much in the same way that the goats would? Not necessarily. So that was one of the things that came up, and, and Lovell talked about this in, um, in a book he wrote back in 1963. So that it would have been dropped by planes, and that meant a lot of it would have landed on rooftops. They had a lot of flat roofs. Um, so that obviously would be weird, right? Why would poop end up on my roof? Because goats don't fly. And so Lovell responded to that criticism or that concern by saying, my only answer was, the orders are to take out Spanish Morocco when ordered to do so. And if we do, there'll be mighty few people inspecting rooftops. So he wasn't worried about it, basically. But Get the, the job done, and whatever happens, happens after that. But but are they dropping the, the manure much in the same form that it was in coming out of the goat? Minus, ah, you're saying there, is there like a splat effect? Well, no, it's, it's not that. It's just that you, you, know, you said at the beginning... One of the reasons that this came up was that there were more goats than humans in this area. And I'm just thinking, why not use humans? <laughs> I mean, does it have to be goat poop just because of the fact that more goats are there? I mean, everything poops. <laughs> why the goat? I think that... <laughs> I hadn't thought about being uh, human poop, but I think... <laughs> I, I just, 
I assume it's because poop that would be out there and about wouldn't be questioned if it looked like it was goat poop. Now, I don't know how that goop goat. I don't know how it was designed so the goat poop stayed perfectly intact to still look like regular goat poop once it fell from a plane. That's another question. But I think if it was human poop, people might start to you know raise an eyebrow. Like, why are people pooping everywhere? If I, you could tell the difference, which I'm, I'm guessing you can tell the difference. I'm also thinking the Germans aren't rolling into their tanks and going, "Hey, wait a minute, that's not goat poop." <laughs> 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 I don't know. Anyway, oh, uh, a lot of good questions with this one. <laughs> a lot of good questions indeed. And and it I, leaves, I, a, leaves a lot to the imagination for I, sure. I don't know if we're ever going to get the answers, but you can get the story because it's in one of your books, is it not? It will be in an upcoming book. Yes. And uh, early, early on right now. And, and what's the, that, when is that book coming out and what is the tentative title? It's planned for late 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, tentatively titled That's Classified. <laughs> Oh wow! So, so you didn't hear it from me. I'm, I'm almost afraid to find out what else is in that book. Oh, there's all kinds of crazy, unbelievable stories. Anyway, uh, Mark, thank you once again for being on the program with us. Um, I, I'm gonna see how you can top that one in March. <laughs> I'll find a way. Thanks for having me, Mark Hartsman, the curator of WeirdHistorian.com. He's the author of several books. His most recent one being. We Are Not Alone, The Extraordinary History of UFOs and Aliens Invading Our Hopes, Fears, and Fantasies. You can go to my website at thestufffile.com, check out the show number for this program, which is show number 0757, and you'll find the link to Mark's site, plus links to either Amazon.com or Amazon.ca, where you can order his book directly. You're listening to The Stuff File Program with me... Peter Anthony Holder. Again, as I mentioned, there's an idiot of the day coming your way in just a matter of moments, but I've got one more stuff file news story to share with you right here, right now. U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported on February the 11th that the agency had confiscated the dead and dehydrated bodies of four monkeys from the luggage of a traveler returning to Boston Logan International Airport from the Democratic Republic of Congo. The traveler claimed he had dried fish, but a dog sniffed out something different. Bushmeat is banned in the U.S. because of the threat of disease, and the flyer said he had the monkeys for his own consumption. No charges were filed, but the luggage was seized, and about nine pounds of bushmeat were destroyed by the CDC. You know, considering where we are in the evolutionary chain... Wouldn't eating a monkey come dangerously close to cannibalism? I mean, that's a dining experience that's too close to home. And speaking of too close to home, it's also why I never considered marrying first cousins. Anyway, it's that moment you've all been waiting for, boys and girls. It's time now for the Idiot of the Day. And now it's time for the Strange Things Adults Do. This stuff I'll present the Idiot of the Day. Baxter County, Arkansas Sheriff's Office deputies responded to a report of a robbery at a house in Mountain Home. Two men had pounded on the front door at half an hour before midnight. When the three homeowners opened the door, they were confronted by two masked men with guns. The residents didn't have cash, so one of the robbers said he'd take PayPal. 
One of the victims sent $120 while still at gunpoint, and the men fled. Investigators simply traced who the recipient account belonged to and arrested Jacob Gray and Skylar Henson, both 19, the next morning, charging each of them with three counts of kidnapping, aggravated robbery and burglary, and theft. Oh, you're definitely going to pay, pal. I mean, why? Oh, why would you rob someone at gunpoint and ask them to put the ill-gotten gains into your very own PayPal account, not for a moment thinking of just how extremely traceable that would be? One reason, and one reason only. You're an idiot! Gee, I'm only a kid, but even I know you're an idiot. And that's it for this edition of the Stuff File program, number 0757. Hope you enjoyed it. The website is thestufffile.com, and once again, stuff is spelled S-T-U-P-H, where you'll find information and links on all of our guests by going to the weekly Stuff File page. Just look for the corresponding program number, and once again, that's 0757. Email me at peter at thestufffile.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Spoutable, Post, Mastodon, and Blue Sky as PA Holder. Check us out on Patreon.com where you can become a patron of the program. Hope to see you back here for our next show on the air online or as a download. We're coming to you from everywhere, including kdxradio.com, truetalkradio.com, over the air on World FM in New Zealand, WLSLLP-FM in Dade City, Florida, KZZHLP-FM in Eureka, California, CKUW-FM in Winnipeg, CFMU in Hamilton, CKLU in Sudbury, Local 107.3 FM in St. John, CHSR in Fredericton, and also streaming on just about any streaming service your little heart desires. That's it. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Stuff File Program with Peter Anthony Holder, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications. If you were listening to this at the same time as watching The Wizard of Oz and listening to Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, well, it's a waste of electricity. There are some things you just can't multitask.